welcome back to Porcelain Peak, the strange and scary podcast that covers everything from horror to sci-fi and all the upside down stuff in between. Welcome to Strange Summer. We made it. Woo-hoo. So I am one of your co-hosts, Anthony, and I am joined by the code of my host, John. How's it going, man? <laughs> it's going pretty good. How about yourself? I am excited to sit down and talk about it. So for our first Strange Summer episode... We are going to be diving into the first season of Stranger Things. We're going to try to keep it tight for you guys, but this one might run a little long depending on how into it we get. That being said, we're going to kind of go through a general plot synopsis and dive into some of our favorite moments and how we feel about the epi- uh, about the season on a repeat viewing. Before we do that, we are going to hit you guys with some news. This is it, all right, one little piece of news that I had was that Netflix recently released Slasher Season 3. So it used to be a chiller network show, and then Netflix took it up, and they have made Season 2 and now Season 3. It's a slasher series, and it's different every time, sort of American Horror Story style. And this one is about a guy who gets murdered in an apartment complex, and no one does anything. And then a year later, the apartment complex begins getting terrorized. It's called The Druid, and each episode is a segment of time throughout the day. Hmm. So that's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. I really liked the first and second season. They were pretty good, especially for a slasher show, which we just don't get outside of Scream. But we don't really like to talk about that. <laughs> it's an ugly baby. Right. So I, I, I would uh, recommend it. Awesome. Yeah. I haven't, I hadn't heard about it until I saw it kind of pop up in the news sphere this week. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely excited to revisit that. Are all three seasons accessible on Netflix? Yes. Awesome. Right now. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things coming to streaming services, DC with their DC Universe application has been killing it with things they've been bringing in for streaming. Uh, they had a little bit of controversy with Titans, but people have kind of gotten over that because the series so far has been pretty good from what I've heard. Uh, and then they've got done a couple of other things as well, but apparently they are going to take a sharp left turn into the horror territory and uh, revive one of their properties, the Swamp Thing. Nice. Uh, the trailer looks dope. I It looks super chilling. It has kind of a little bit of a slasher-ish feel, like a monster movie feel, and it also kind of has this medical drama-ish feel to it as well. I'm interested to see how this turns out. Uh, I mean, the only real experience I have with Swamp Thing, aside from knowing of the comic and knowing of the character, is Wes Craven's attempt at it. And so that's that's a long time out. That was, what, the 80s? Right. I'm a little sad to see Wes Craven's stuff getting remade, but it's bound to happen. Well, and this is at least a different take. Have, doing a full-blown series, I mean, it sounds super cool. Yeah, I think that there's probably a lot more to explore with that series. And since it is a series of comics itself, I think that doing a show is going to benefit that type of storytelling. Well, I'm sure they have a lot more source material to pull as well. All right. And then along those same lines in the streaming area, we have a movie to Netflix called Perfection that was recently released. And I'm not really 100% sure what it's about, but it is reportedly making people physically ill with how the scenes are that's all i've heard about the movie as well i have heard that it is uh, that 
it kind of has like a political nature to it as well, but it is supposed to be true and true horror. So I'm interested to see what it's about, uh, maybe dig into it and then potentially give it uh, an hour and a half or two or whatever it takes in my time to see it. And then I think last but not least for this week, A24 has announced another horror movie coming to their production company called In Fabric. The trailer looks super weird. It's definitely something worth checking out if you're into kind of like the slow burn indie efforts that they've been releasing over the last five or six years. They definitely have been kind of the forefront of like the super weird and out of left field horror movies. So if you've been into that, Definitely would suggest checking out the trailer for this. Doesn't seem like it gives too much away, but it just it has a really weird and creepy vibe, and that's what we're about here. Yeah, it looks like it's essentially about a killer dress. Yeah. Which, um, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's tackle anything we can. Let's make it all scary. So that's going to wrap it up for news this week. If there is anything that we missed, then please feel free to share that with us on any of our socials. That's going to be Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can shoot us an email as well. And you might even end up finding out that once you make it to Instagram to tell us that we missed something, that we already saw it, just we caught it after the after we recorded <laughs> this, because that happens frequently. Almost every week. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So then we are going to move into the trivia segment, and things are going to be a little bit different, so be prepared. Yep. All right, so for trivia for the strange summer, we are going to be jumping into a different type of trivial pursuit. So it's going to be very similar format, but the questions are going to be pretty different. So this is a Stranger Things slash totally 80s themed trivial pursuit. Found it just in the nick of time for us to do this segment. So the categories are going to be a little bit different. It's still going to be six questions. And I think one out of the six is related to Stranger Things. So let's get into it. The first category is going to be movies. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. The plot of Desperately Seeking Susan, starring Rosanna Arquette, revolves around what lost piece of clothing? It's a shoe? It is a jacket. Uh, one of the jackets used in the film sold in 2014 for 200 $57,000. God damn, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I wish I just had that money just one time. Just one time. In what movie does English teacher John Keating tell his students, Carpe Diem sees the day, boys? Dead Poet Society. It is Dead Poet Society. I kept wanting to say Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that wasn't that uh, early on. All right, moving on to the next category. This one's going to be TV. In 1981, what product was asked for in a commercial with a line... Pardon me, do you have any... Grey Poupon, my dude. It is Grey Poupon. I know my shit. <laughs> Come on, dog. All right. I know my condiments. <laughs> a Different World was about which Huxtable kid and her life at Hillman College? Sandra, Vanessa, or Denise? Vanessa. It's Denise. Damn it. All right. We tied, right? And we're tied up one to one. Okay. Next category. John, this is right up your alley. It's going to be music. Yeah. According to the title track of Lionel Richie's 1986 album, what is everybody doing on the ceiling? Is it dancing? It is dancing for the lead. Yeah. Uh, what band was up for answering the phone anytime, anyplace, anywhere, anyway in 1980? The Rolling Stones. <laughs> <laughs> it's Blondie. Ah. Call me. 
Oh, oh that makes sense. Yeah. You can call me. Oh, with a perfect rendition. It's getting hot in here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. John winning. Next category is going to be famous people and events. Who did First Lady Nancy Reagan consult with regularly while in the White House? An astrologer, a fitness coach, or a tarot card reader? Tarot card reader. It is an astrologer. Uh, I knew it was one of the two weird yeah, ones. Me too. I was I was curious about which one it was myself. All right. Uh, which uh, Major League Baseball team didn't play a home night game until 1988 when lights were finally installed at their ballpark? The Oakland A's. No, definitely not. It's the Chicago Cubs. Trends, tech, and fun. What is another name for hammer pants? Parachute pants, skids, or skorts? It's definitely parachute pants. It is parachute pants. Rapper MC Hammer once said, the looser the pants, the more accentuated your dance becomes. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. Uh-oh. Coily, Ugg, and Wrong Way are all bad guys in what cube-hopping video game? Cubert. It's definitely Cubert. Oh, are we tied? Yeah. Wait, Sick. No, I, I got my question right, too. Oh, shit. So, so you're it's still three, It's three to two. For the finale, the Stranger Things category. Here we go. What is the name of Dr. Owens, played by Paul Reiser in season two? This one I don't know. Uh, is it Philip? It is not. It is Sam. Oh, okay. I, some basic-ass white name. <laughs> says, a, says a person named from a Bible name. <laughs> All right. Because uh, yeah, John's real exotic. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, in season two. Damn it. What does Keith at the arcade want from Mike in exchange for the identity of the player with the name Mad Max? A comic book. Definitely not. It is a date with his sister, Nancy. Oh, that makes sense. I have only watched season two the once. Same. Yeah. So I'm excited to get to the rewatch for that one. All right. So that is going to wrap it up for our new Totally 80 Stranger Things trivia. Somebody out there, keep track. I'm on the lead. If you enjoyed that 80s trivia and that breaking news, then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on any of that. But now, the moment that you guys may have been waiting for, at least for a week, we are going to be talking about the first season of Stranger Things. This shit came out, and it blew people's minds, right? Nobody was expecting it, and it kind of, maybe didn't launch, but definitely pushed forward the 80s style show door. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now we get a ton of that stuff. Movie styles and different shows that are very 80s-esque. And this one, I feel like, like I was saying, didn't, maybe didn't necessarily pioneer that movement, but definitely pushed that movement forward. And for good reason. This movie is very 80s, and it's rad. I, I would say that Netflix had created some, some really popular things as far as making new content is concerned. But this was their first thing that was like a household name phenomenon. Right, because I think people got into House of Cards, and people got into Orange is the New Black, and I think people were already into Arrested Development, and I don't know if Netflix necessarily helped that out. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that was their first group of, of shows, and that Hemlock Grove show that I didn't watch. But yeah, like you were saying, this one, I think everybody sat down to try to watch this. Most people, anyway. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, so I feel like that kind of boosted Netflix forward, and I really hope that they don't treat this show how they treated some of their other shows that were successful, where they gave them three seasons and then kind of gave them the boot. Yeah. Which seems to be more or less their formula for a lot of stuff. Uh, but there are some things that do buck that trend. Orange is the New Black is another common one. House of Cards, too, I think got six seasons yeah. or something like that. So we'll see what happens. 
I I like, and I think we've talked about it, how they're taking their time with it and not rushing to get this new season out. Mm-hmm. So season one starts off with four boys. That's going to be Dustin, Mike, Lucas, and Will. And so they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, and then on their way home, Will gets attacked by something, more or less, that we don't really know what's going on. He starts running from something in the in the darkness and then disappears. And so the rest of the season is them trying to figure out either what took him or what happened to him. And from there, things get pretty weird. And so we can just talk a little bit about how it opens. I love this, the season when yeah. it came out. And this is, I think, my only my second time re-watching it. Mm-hmm. And I always get nervous to kind of relive something like this because it's a phenomenon so you're in that in that hype and in that headspace when you watch it the first time but watching it now i mean it's it's three it happened three years ago it's it's something that's so far back in the lexicon it's like it has to really have legs to stand up and i will tell you 100 percent the opening of this 100 percent stands up it's so creepy and atmospheric him being chased and him trying to come up with a solution on the fly like he runs out into the shed and starts trying to load the gun but like the way that they use like the lights and the way that everything flickers it all looks gorgeous and it's like like i said it's so creepy and it does everything right like i said i was nervous and i started watching the first episode and i was like holy shit this is even better than i remember honestly I was way more into it, and I guess I wasn't so jittery from the hype Mm -hmm. that I was able to relax and watch it, if that makes any sense. And damn. It's like curling up into a warm blanket. It's like being, for people like you and me, it's like being at home. Right, and it it is that perfect blend of the horror and the sci-fi. Yeah. Because we're getting this other dimensional stuff and, and the telekinesis and all that kind of shit. And it just, it works, man. I think that the performances from the children are fantastic. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, some of the best child actors I've seen in a long time. It all feels really genuine, and their whole relationship feels really genuine, even yes. with each other. So they have great chemistry. I mean, whoever casted that shit, they deserve an award. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the opening sets up so many, so many little things. We start to learn a little bit more about the town, about the people as they're trying to figure out what happened. You know, we we get to meet Joyce Byers, and she is she is an integral character. Winona Ryder was blackballed in Hollywood for stealing. Yeah, for <laughs> for thieving. Heisen. Yeah, and watching her get to come back and do something that had so much depth and so many layers was was a shock. Like I was like, oh shit, is that Winona Ryder? What the hell? And she was incredible she's super believable in approach to things and like her trying to come to grips with whether or not this is her being neurotic or is this her doing something that's that's real and actually seeing these things in front of her face and you get to see those as she kind of battles back and forth you know with her ex-husband and with her oldest son jonathan even with some of the other kids parent it's just it's it's a struggle and she's constantly going through it and it's acted and portrayed perfectly. Like the casting for this show is top notch, not just the kids. The adults are all perfectly placed as well. I mean, they, they do a good job of making certain adults seem like they understand and they get things and certain adults making them seem inept like Ted Wheeler. Ted (laughs) Wheeler can go fuck himself to death. He's hilarious, dude. Fucking, I hate that character so much, but he's meant to be hated. He's meant to just be kind of like, like the lethargic 80s dad. That's just what he is. Just, uh, what I do? I love that part. (laughs) 
what I do. <laughs> right, and and I think Winona's arc throughout the whole season is great because we get to slowly see her start slipping into madness mm. and we don't really know what's going on. I mean, we do because it's our second watch, but watching it for the first time, you don't really know if she's crazy, if shit's really happening, what's going on with Will or any of it. And so you're kind of going on this journey with her mm-hmm. and it starts to make you feel a little crazy a little bit. She gets just as much equal screen time to the boys and to Nancy and Jonathan, which is, I, like I said, I felt like everything is balanced at, well, and Hopper as well. Super balanced really well. They make the right characters interact at the right times. And it just, it flows so perfectly. I mean, and, and I mean, we go through all this process and we haven't even encountered Eleven yet. I'll be honest, dude. And I'm probably going to be the unpopular opinion. Eleven is probably my least favorite actor in, as like the kids go. I could see like why you feel that way, but like she's also not being given as much either. That's true. That character is meant to be the embodiment of the fish out of water. So I think having her kind of basically just trying to figure things out, I think is, you know, it's not giving her enough room to actually work things out. And I think that season two, she's given a lot more leeway. And I think that her acting chops, you know, step up. I like her when she's kind of doing the quiet, intimate moments with the boys mm-hmm. with um Mike in particular but for when she's like all supered out those are where it kind of fall uh, falls weak for me like that part where she's approaching the bullies and she's all like squared up and uh, see, I, to fight and then, like breaks his arm see like, that's see that's one of my favorite moments of the show <laughs> i thought the moment was dope great moment yeah but i just did, i don't know i don't like the, her walk i don't know why it just threw me off that she was like trying to look badass. I think that's the point is that she was trying to look badass. <laughs> and she doesn't she does she doesn't know. She just knows that she watched she watched what happened at the school and saw them walk up all squared up and stuff. So she just emulated that. Kind of learning. All I right. mean cuz she is she doesn't have like I said she's a fish out of water. She's constantly learning how to adjust to just being out in the open and not being, you know, in a lab. I think that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but she's observing and kind of taking in what she can, so she has to almost imitate. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Exactly. Okay. I mean, she does that with, with the majority of her language as well. I mean, she parrots people constantly. Friends don't lie. Yeah. That's a good point. Like I said, I felt like watching it a second time, all it allowed me to do was, A, jump back in and really enjoy where these characters started off, but also to pick things apart for like Easter eggs and little themes and stuff. Like I said, the fish out of water theme is a massive theme, especially for all of Eleven's arc. The, I think not only for her too, but for the boys. Yeah. Cause they're kind of outcasts and even for Joyce mm-hmm. and Jonathan who are kind of like these outcasts. And, and I, I guess we get that a little bit with Nancy and Barb where they're sort of fish out of water as far as like the cool kids go, especially yeah. for Nancy since she joined Steve and his little crew and she is that fish out of water. And then eventually just doesn't want to be in that fishbowl anymore. Yeah. I mean, and that, that kind of points me to another big theme, and it's also uh, a pretty sizable Easter egg for the show as well. The song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? It's a huge theme for this for this whole entire first season. Like I said, it, it follows Will around, and that's the most like bold face that it is. But like for Nancy, it's like, should I stay in this crowd, or should I go and do what I know is right? You know, for the boys, it's should I stay at home or should I go and fight? You know, it's there's there are so many people that follow this theme and the fact that they like perfectly encapsulated it in a song uh, was 
excellent. And like I said, right. it's, and it doesn't feel out of context. Sometimes people use songs and soundtracks, and it's like, all right, that was just there just to to make yourself seem more eighties. Yeah, this but one, this one, one, one is subtle. It's subtle, and it, it does things on a on multiple levels, so it works so much better than just like here's a random song, you know. <laughs> um, and kind of even that with their dad too, right? Because mm-hmm. should he stay or should he go? And then he ends up leaving. Yeah. And that kind of plays with the rest of the show. And I really liked Joyce and I guess we don't see a ton of their home life, but with the flashbacks that we get, we get to see that she's not a bad mom. They're just poor. Yeah. Right. So she's still a good parent and she does everything she can to make these boys lives as good as they can without the dad pulling any weight as far as that goes. So I really like that too, that it wasn't just like, Oh, we're poor and we're dysfunctional and we're just a shitty family, but they're not. They're probably one of the happier families. Because they're just able to get by with what they got. Well, and it's and in showing the flashbacks specifically with her and Will, like the back and forths that they had, you could tell that her kids are her world. Like, <laughs> Why is he shooting cabbages or something? Yeah, yeah. And the and uh, oh my witch! <laughs> like, but like her interactions and her understanding of what her kids are doing while not necessarily getting the activities, like she knows enough about what they're doing to make sure that she can be inserted into everything in their lives, which like I said is, you know, while giving their kids enough space is still an important part of their childhood, like understanding their wants and their interests and showing that like those things are interesting for you and you're willing to discuss them. You watch the difference between her and Mrs. Wheeler where her interactions with, with Nancy and Mike are like, you can talk to me. You don't have to lie to me. But she's already so far outside because she's complacent. She's, you know, trapped in a bad marriage, and she's you know, she doesn't understand how to make this family unit work anymore. And so her, she's already too far gone. She's like at the point where she's like, you can talk to me. You can tell me anything. You can do all these things. But you can see, in some ways, how much better a mother Joyce is because Joyce sticks to her guns. Joyce is a character that that loves her children and is invested in her children. Like time frame wise is not all about like, oh, I got to make sure I have the dinner on by 7 or any of that BS. You know, she's like, I'm here. I'm going to provide for you, but I'm also going to show you that I'm here emotionally. Right, and I think that they both show the different types of households that we can have, and so I think that covers a lot of fan base in that, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, did you come from a broken home and were you poor and then we got you covered? Or did you come from your like nuclear family and you had a little bit of money, you know, your middle class or whatever. And then it, it covers both those things. So it's easily it's easy to relate for uh, the audience. Yeah. To either to either family. And it shows you that there's good sides of everything and bad sides of everything. They're almost like upside downs of each other in mm-hmm. a way. One character that who I wasn't a huge fan of at the beginning and then grew to love was Hopper. I can see why Hopper is the way that he is in the beginning, but it doesn't make him a super charismatic or likable character. Right. Uh, but he's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, he's, I think, A, I mean, you find out later that he's grieving the loss of his daughter, which is a big deal. And from cancer, like that's a, especially in the eighties, that was a huge deal. Uh, you also find out that he was living in a big city and has now spent a few years working in his hometown. He, at this point in time, he's bored in his life. So, so his whole like coffee and contemplation thing in the beginning, like that's like, it's, you can see the frustration, especially as he starts to deal with the kids. And like, you can tell that that's not what he's about anymore just because kids remind him constantly of Sarah. So without Sarah, you know, he's, 
just kind of lost and and floating through life. Uh, you can see it in his body language and his body type. Like he's just kind of like, eh, I'm here. I'm still, I'm still existing. I'm still living. And then you brush his teeth with beer at the beginning. Yeah, it's living one beer to the next, one cigarette to the next. You know that sort of a deal. One pill to the next. So what I like too, though, about that is because he is kind of, kind of a dirtbag, I guess. Mm. When he does shady shit, it doesn't seem out of character. Yes. And I don't mean shady, like, just outside of, I guess, what the police code would be. Yeah. Where he goes to a bar, has drinks with the dude, and then beats him up for information. Not something that uh, you should be doing if you're an officer. But it works for him because he is kind of a scumbag. Yeah. And it's like, all right, I'm, I'm behind it. And it made me like him more because he's willing to do whatever it takes to get to the bottom of this. He is 100, 1,000, 1 million percent the Han Solo of this series, <laughs> period. He's just that, he's just that, like, almost curmudgeon kind of just, like, like, dirtbag. Like, that's, he's, he's your smuggler. He is your guy who's, who's there to get things done, and he does it in whatever, whatever ways are necessary. And you get to see him kind of slowly lose his grip on reality, not knowing if he is being followed or if people are following other people or what's going on. And then when he gets to the lab the first time, I don't, that part for me, I thought was a little bit weird that they just like knocked him out and then sent him home. I think it, I think because he's such a big public figure, he's the chief of police. I think it was more of a warning. Okay. It was a, Hey, you're moving into territory that you're not prepared to deal with. Yeah. Or maybe hoping to bug him to see if he would find information before they did mm-hmm. about what's going on with Eleven or Will. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think that in most cases, uh, the Hawkins lab does does everything that they can to try to stay one step ahead of things. And to see the lengths that they go through to try to keep everything under wraps is crazy. The fact that they like created a fake will buyers in order to try to prevent them from like figuring out that he's just missing that he's in this weird alternate dimension the first time i watched it and they showed will's body and i was like what the fuck like really they just killed a kid yeah i was like man so what the hell is the rest of the season about and then you know slowly you get the pieces of it and then it's not his body like oh shit some weird stuff's going on and I feel like this show has a lot of scares. Mm-hmm. So that's cool for them to do. And there's a part where Nancy's in the Upside Down briefly. Yes. And she, there's she's looking around the corner and you don't see anything moving. And then all of a sudden the Demogorgon turns around like, Rah! yeah. It's, oh, shit. I watched it the other day and I like jumped a little bit. Startled me. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I mean, they're like the whole swimming pool scene where where Barb like is like, attacked essentially that whole scene where she's like being drugged back down into the swimming pool that that shit's gnarly like like there are so many good terrifying moments and they're not crazy gory or over the top they're they're super accessible so like i said this is the kind of shit that you and i would have watched as a kid oh definitely like watching as an adult (laughs) well yeah well yeah but like i said it's so accessible to so many age ranges because you have relatable characters for every group and it's, well, it just reminds me of how movies were in the 80s where we had kids going on adventures. Like, we, you know, I think we've talked about like with the Goonies yeah. and with E.T. and Stand By Me where it's all these kids going and doing things. Oh, yeah. Like this this movie pulls so many things. I mean, this show pulls so many things from those films. I think that's an okay slip to make because it does feel very cinematic. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's so beautifully shot. I got I, this is my first time watching it in 4K, which was incredible. 
Um, it's just, it's so beautiful. You get so lost in the scenery and the world that they've created. It feels super lived in for something that they pulled from literally nothing. They made something that feels so captivating. And like I said, it feels like home. And that's, that's an incredible thing to have make happen from literally nothing. Right. Super original. And they made it work. Obviously, it does pull a lot of stuff from the 80s. One of my favorite little Easter eggs was the science teacher watching the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, there are multiple references to the thing. I believe it's in it's either in Will or Jonathan's bedroom. They have oh no 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 it's, it's in the basement at the Wheeler's house. Oh, they have right. the thing poster there, and then they have an Evil Dead poster. It's either in Jonathan's room or in Will's room. I think it's Jonathan's room, yeah, because yeah. his dad comes in and is like, "Take that down." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> his dad's such a piece of shit oh yeah lawn lawn all of like all of the like the adult men except for uh hopper are like super pieces of shit that you just have no redeeming qualities yeah until we get a second season then we get a little bit more of nice guys <laughs> uh, yeah well, yeah we'll definitely i mean this character that, that we're talking about will definitely get some discussion time for sure because he was a he was a character that I wasn't expecting to be as important to me as a viewer, and then he eventually like takes up that torch. We'll save it. We'll save it. Yeah, we'll save it for next for the next discussion we have on this. Another another uh, cinema reference they make um, as the uh, three officers are pulling up Hopper and his two deputies are pulling up to Hawkins Lab to go investigate it the first time. Uh, one of the cops mentions, uh, "Here it is." Emerald City, Wizard of Oz reference. Like, they make so many little subtle references to to films and things that were considered to be super huge in that time frame. While Wizard of Oz definitely did not come out in the 80s, <laughs> it was definitely considered to be one of the best movies of all time and would definitely have that kind of carry. Also, um... <laughs> Is it Dustin, Nightmare on Elm Street playing on the, at the theater? I think so, yeah. And uh, that's also a slight reference uh, uh, with Nancy's character name. She's named Nancy. Right. Um, her name gets put up there. Also, references to Star Wars. Dustin continuously re- uh, uh, mentions Lando. Right. Uh, but this would would have made sense time frame wise because it's also, I believe, timeline wise would have been before Return of the Jedi came out. So without having the additional knowledge of what happens with Lando further on into the storyline, you would think of Lando as just a turncoat. That was all you would consider him to be. Because if that's all you're getting is what you get from Empire Strikes Back, that makes sense. Like little subtle things that they do to make all this stuff work. It's just incredible. To make it authentic. Yes. And to make it believable. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not huge into Star Wars, then you should be able to still follow that kind of stuff. And that's kind of cool. And so there's definitely Easter eggs in there for people that know a little bit more about the genre, I guess. And then there's, like you were saying, Star Wars stuff that's a bit more accessible. And so they do a good job of just tying it all in and making it for everybody. And it is. I mean, I don't know anybody that's watched it and doesn't like it. Yeah. I don't know if you do. There was one mistake that I did catch. And, you know, I think it's toward the beginning. Joyce gets the phone call and then her phone burns out. So then at some point she goes and buys a new phone. Yeah. But before she buys a new phone, the Hawkins lab records a call from her on her phone. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't have a phone. I was like, ah, they messed up. They should have put, they should have put that later yeah. on. In yeah. The I, think, I think some of it was just, just a little bit of an editing gaffe. But right. I mean, 
Who's to say that the Wait timelines just weren't like exactly right or whatever? But <laughs> like I said, if that's your your one that's your it. one nitpick, like I mean, the series is incredible. Like I said, it's it's created such a vivid world, something that like I said that's relatable to anyone who watches it. And it uses uh, music from the time frame very well. I felt like I was watching a Carpenter movie the whole time. Yeah. I loved it. As it, it pulls references from so many great filmmakers, from Spielberg, from Carpenter, and it just has this super, like I said, lived-in quality to it, and I think it's because it took a concept about making something that's for the 80s, but it made it almost universal in a way, and it took it took one of the things that pulls people out of things like this so easily, technology, it took that and it turned it into its own little set piece by making them tech nerds. You get to like see little by little like like what they do with like their little radios and like all this other crazy stuff. I think that's an interesting aspect of the show too is where how different, I guess, quote unquote, nerds or geeks were mm-hmm. even just like 30 years ago or yeah. whatever because they were shunned and kind of these dweebs and Hopper even makes that comment about Will, like, isn't he a little weird? And then now if you're into dungeons and dragons like that's cool yeah or being nerdy or whatever is cool so it's a lot that shift is a lot different definitely and that's cool to see how things i mean to know how things are now and to see how i guess they are portrayed in the 80s when well, how accessible something like that is to just the random person now because this like if this had come out in the 80s or the 90s this would have been niche this would have been something that you and i would have watched and not a lot of other people would have seen <laughs> you know that's a good point, and it didn't have the the platform for it either. Should we talk about Barb and how sad it is that <laughs> she's just kind of forgotten about? She's not really forgotten about. They like that's Nancy's entire arc in season two is in season two. Yeah. But I'm saying for one, and well, I think that's why they did that in season two was they got a lot of backlash, right? Like justice for Barb <laughs> was like a, a movement that was going mm-hmm. on after the season. Mm-hmm. And her character was interesting, and so I would like to see more of her, but I don't think it was necessary. I wasn't sad about it, and it felt like stuff was at stake, so I'm kind of glad that they did it. Yeah. Otherwise, what did we really lose from it? sucks that it had to be Nancy's best friend, but could well, have yeah. been Steve's best friend. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, we could have used losing both of Steve's best friends. That would have been <laughs> choice. But I do think that, like I said, Barb is kind of like the loss of Nancy's like moral center. Okay, and innocence in a way too. Right? Yeah, she goes missing. Nancy loses her virginity. Yeah, like it's it's a pretty cut and dry allegory, and I think that Barb is such an interesting character because like she wants to just continue living the same life, even though she knows that like if she continues to do these things with her, she could potentially become popular herself. Or should I stay or should I go? Yeah, again, you exactly. know, from a different take with Nancy. Exactly, that's a good point. I do like how gruesome. Barb getting attacked is though. Mm-hmm. I think it's the beginning of the second episode, right? Where she, they show her like in the pool. Uh, I think it's the third. Okay, because they go they go to his party in the second, and they end with her being attacked. Oh, okay. And then right, the right. third, it's Shows as she's like losing her virginity, and then she's being like dragged down. And then you get later on when Eleven's in the the sensory deprivation tank, you get her finding her corpse. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. the slug. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, sad. So gross. But that's cool that they show you that slug because then that comes up later. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was, that was a nice little plant that they had in there. Did Is it just me or does Jonathan look a lot like Edward Furlong? 
a little bit. It's the it's the like the black around the eyes and just kind of like the mannerisms, I guess. They should just hijack season three and just have him get chased down by a Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, though I I feel like he looked like him quite a bit, and I was like, that's cool. Yeah, maybe you should just be in the new Terminator movie, and we can just not tell anybody. Just be like, oh yeah, that wasn't Edward. That was totally Edward Furlong. <laughs> I guess we said we we're going to do like a basic plot. So they try to find Will, you know, they fake his death. Eventually they know that he's still alive. And then we get Eleven who is telekinetic. And then Will's trapped in this upside down, which we've mentioned. And then eventually they get Will out and Eleven disappears. We think, you know, we don't really know what's going on. Well, so all we know is that. Kills they, Demigorgon. Well, she kills pretty much everyone from Hawkins lab. And then the Demigorgon. And then she disappears. So at the end, we're left with. Hopper and Joyce have made it out with Will in tow, and they managed to save him because he was he was dying. They were like zapping all his energy or whatever. Um, so they get him out of the upside down, and the, we find out like basically what the real trade off was because they because he gave them bad information about finding Eleven. But the real trade off was that he knew after this was all said and done that he was going to be captured. So they came and they found him. He hops in the car willingly. Um, and then we get the end, which is you get to see them play Dungeons and Dragons again. Everything seems super normal. Uh, Will's not riding the bike by himself at home to home anymore. He's he's getting a ride from his brother. But we get to see kind of the fallout with Mike having Eleven's things ready for her if she ever comes home. He's got like the little fort and everything all set up and ready to go for her. And that was sad. And then we also get Will, once he makes it home... Getting ready for dinner, he goes off to go wash his hands, uh, quote unquote, and uh, he vomits up one of those upside down slugs and he like slips into the upside down for a second. That's the end. That's the end of the season. So fucked up, dude. I was like, God damn it. I don't want to wait for another one. There's a huge cliffhanger, but in the right way. Exactly. It wasn't like. It wasn't. You weren't getting like what should have been the season ender and getting it cut off and put on the beginning of the next season. You were getting. This is the next plot thread that we're going to follow, but this is it. Like, you still have a complete so- story here. You have this the story of them finding and saving Will. The writing in the show is so well done, and you can tell that they're that they're forward thinking people. That they're not like the writers from Lost, you know, who are who are just you know throwing throwing darts at a board and then <laughs> saying, "All right, write the next episode about that one." It's smoke, and then, and then writing themselves <laughs> into a corner. You have people who came up with a storyline and knew what they wanted to do from the jump. I don't. I won't say that it was full blown, like written out five seasons and call it call it good, like uh, like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is a perfect example of someone who knew exactly where their endpoint was from the very beginning. I don't. I won't say it's exactly like that, but they definitely knew the area that they wanted to go to. Talk about them as in the Duffer Brothers. Yeah, the Duffer Brothers. Yeah, and for them to come out onto the scene with this shit, I mean, damn. Mm-hmm. Whatever they do next is going to be hard yeah. for them to get past this and for them to live up to the hype. So kudos on them. I'm glad they're still making great series. It's not like they'll ever need to make anything ever again. Like I said, if they have any of the merchandising rights for this show, they're they're making money doing nothing hand over fist constantly. Because I can speak for you and for myself, we both own Stranger Things merchandise. I own quite a bit myself. Yeah, I have that sweater from our little video. It's it's a phenomenon. Like I said, it's the biggest thing that Netflix has done to date. And 
that's saying something considering Netflix has released a film that's now won the Academy Award. Like there's like all kinds of stuff that they're getting as far as like commercial acclaim, but like, I mean, critical acclaim, but as far as commercial things are concerned, this is their biggest product. Hand over fist. Oh, guaranteed. You can go anywhere. Yeah. Any retailer or whatever. You're going to find Stranger Things stuff. And this is after they made really well-liked Marvel content. Even those things couldn't even stack up to this. Like I said, because this is so so accessible. Those Marvel television shows, they are very dark and very adult and are not appropriate at all for children. Whereas this, like, like I said, if you're anywhere from the age of like seven or eight all the way up to a hundred... Like I said, there's something you can pull from this show. And I think that's an interesting take, too, because even though you can watch it at a younger age, it doesn't feel childish watching it as an adult. Exactly. It's still really good. Like, you know, I mean, I think I talked about it last week's episode, how I've been watching Boy Pizza World, and that definitely does feel like it's for a younger audience. I'll mm. still enjoy it and still watch it as an adult, but this feels like it's, you know, I mean, we've said it, it's for everybody. Yeah. And you can get enjoyment. It doesn't, it's not childish. It feels good. And like you were saying with the writing, the way that they are able to build the relationships and write those relationships is so good. Mike and Lucas get into that fight. Then you, you get to see the tension between the groups. So not everything is perfect. And you get to see how they kind of have their own things that we're not really privy to. Justin has these rules and they talk about these rules that they all know. We don't know them. Yeah. And so we get bits and pieces. And so that's smart. Because it's like they have their own world. We're just viewing. We're not a part of it. We just get to see it. And that's pretty cool. And that's good writing. I think we should talk about the final bit about Eleven. So what we think is Eleven. Hopper goes to the secret location, right? And mm-hmm. puts Egos in a little box. Well, and some of uh, some dinner that was, I guess, provided at the station or something. Like a potluck dinner. And puts that in a little box. And obviously, like I said, the Egos are meant to make it seem like it's left out for her. That paired with... Will and the Slugs, I was like, oh, my God, I want season two now, tomorrow. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the next day, I was ready for it. But overall, I mean, I don't think that we really had a lot of complaints, if any. The little phone thing, sure. But who gives a shit? You know what I mean? When you're making something as wide as this, you know, you're making, it's like five or six hours worth of content. Having like a tiny little baby continuity error that doesn't break the story or the immersion that's nothing. That's just me being over-observant when it yeah. comes to that kind of shit. You know what I mean? It's some four eyes working. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you want to get into about season one? Uh, no, I'm, I, uh, I will say I watched it all in one sitting the same way that I did when I first watched it. And it was very difficult to not just be like, cause it started, it was like, it was like playing next season in five, four, three, two. I was like, ah, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. <laughs> I wanted to, I just wanted to keep going though. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into season two because I don't remember that one as vividly as I do season one. So especially for the new one coming out so soon, I'm excited to kind of revisit that. One, have it all fresh in your mind, too. Exactly. All right. So that's going to do it for our first Strange Summer Stranger Things season one episode. We hope that you enjoyed that. So before we end, we're going to go ahead and give you guys our watch list. Patrick, what is it? Where are you going? I've got to return some videotapes. Obviously, immediately, if you haven't watched season one of Stranger Things, watch that now. And what we're going to be watching, obviously, is going to be Stranger Things season two. Yeah, we're going to be preparing for the next episode that we're going to release, which is going to be 
I want I think it's a couple of weeks from now that we'll end up releasing that episode. We're going to get that a little bit closer to when Stranger Things comes out. We also within the next week should be getting those Black Mirror episodes. We're definitely going to be watching those. Uh, 100% recommend it. I haven't seen it. And I know it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um one thing that I don't know if we can necessarily recommend, but it's something that we are going to talk about for next week's episode of Porcelain Peak is Godzilla King of Monsters. So I don't know how it's going to be. I've heard that the battles are cool, but I mean, that's what you want in a Godzilla. Movie, I mean, yeah, big, it? big kaiju monsters beating each other up. That's pretty dope, <laughs> but I mean, we'll see how it turns out. We're definitely going to see it and talk about it. Um, yeah. So put that on your watch list so that when we do that episode, you don't get off put by any of the spoilers, which will probably happen. Yes, definitely. definitely watch spoilers. it with us, please. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had talked about the show earlier but i do want to recommend slasher i thought that it was an interesting take and we don't really get a lot of slasher tv shows and so i would recommend that if you are a horror fan and especially if you're a slasher fan yeah. so i think it takes that format and kind of shows you what else could be done with it mm-hmm. all right so that's going to be the end of today's episode so if you liked what you heard then go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you're not going to miss any of these episodes you can also hit us up on our website that's going to be porcelainpeak.com or on any of our social platforms. That's going to be Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Especially Instagram. We are doing a lot of cool stuff on there lately, and it's been really fun. We are also on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, TuneIn, Spotify, a little bit on SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And Podcoin, which as of right now, we are currently the 171st podcast on their list for the like top weekly list. Uh, Not bad for a week. Yeah, for one week of being part of their bonus segment, we are in their top 200. And that's going to be thanks to some of you guys. So thank you if you have been checking out our episodes through any of those platforms, and especially PodCoin, because then you're getting paid for it. Yeah. (laughs) That's a (laughs) win-win. All right. So yeah, like I was saying, you can go on there and you can check any of that stuff out. And so leave us a review or give us a rating, you know, and then we'll shoot you guys a shout out. So some shout outs that we had for this week are going to be Instagram shout-outs. And most of these are from other podcasts. I gave us some love on there. So that's going to be Trilogy Podcast. Thank you, guys. Our friends over at The Unexamined Hype. Thank you, guys. Martin Banks Official. Thanks for the love. Chromatic Distortion Podcast and The Gamerish Podcast. Thank you both for, for giving us some love on that Instagram. We appreciate all of it. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. And keep it strange. A Hyperforge Alpha Network production.